welcome to another episode of What Happens Next. I'm Dr. Susan Carland. In our first episode, we spoke about the potential problems with biases in artificial intelligence or AI. What are the consequences in the future if there are no regulations in place to prevent it? Today, we take a more positive approach and look at some of the potential AI has in addressing biases and how it could ultimately play a role in helping us achieve more positive outcomes. Rita Arrigo was most recently Chief Digital Advisor at Microsoft Australia. Her role as an AI ambassador drives many AI for good initiatives, including smart, inclusive cities, diversity, sustainability, and humanitarian aspects. I asked Rita where she thinks AI is headed in the future. It turns out she's quite excited. Rita, lovely to have you here today. Thanks, Dr. Susan Carland. It's wonderful to be here. Tell me what you see as the role of AI or artificial intelligence for Society's going into the future. Well, I think there's really exciting stuff happening in society at the moment. I think, you know, we're really moving from being consumers of stuff to entering this idea of societal innovation where we want to solve complex problems, you know, address some of these huge challenges like the environment, sustainability, accessibility, inclusion. And I think this is a real vital role for AI and data science because it will allow us to augment the world and see the world in a different way as we start to find these new ways that we want to innovate society. So you see AI as helping us solve some of those big problems. Yeah, absolutely. Do you ever fear that AI might try to kill us in our sleep like Terminator? No, but I love that Hollywood loves that, you know, <laughs> like Hollywood's there to make horror movies and stuff. And I think I love that whole dystopia kind of model that they create. But I, but we have, you know, we haven't seen it. I've been in technology for like 40 years pretty much and, you know, read about the Luddites that tried to, you know, break all the, the machinery when the industrial age was coming. But really, did did it really affect what was happening? And, you know, has, has the progress been going on as, you know, regardless of, of those kind of fears that we have. Uh, and maybe they are just part of the drama of Hollywood potentially. I don't know. Do you think, are any of the fears justified? Do you think we have enough um, checks and balances or policies or proper ring fencing around any of perhaps the ethical concerns people might have about AI? I think we do. I think we're a really risk-averse culture and I think, you know, in the way that we implement technology, you know, it takes 50 change managers and, you know, cultural program and, you know, building the culture and the diversity in the organisation and the training and, you know, I don't think we just switch on technology and go, wow, what happened then? You know, there's a lot of um, planning and journey creation around it. So, so yeah, I, I don't think that that that's that's an issue. I want you to look into the crystal ball. If we continue down the same path that we're on with our approach to AI, imagine we put no, nothing, we don't change anything in our approach to AI. What does our future look like? Uh, what, what does our society look like? What's good and what's bad? Okay. Well, I think there'll be some really great things. I think um, a lot of the frustrations that we have with customer service, for example, like, you know, how many times do you want to tell someone your name, address, date of birth, like, excuse me, I'm over this, right? And, you know, we want more intelligent 
customer service and experiences. And I think, you know, that there's going to be some real advantages in that. I think healthcare is one of the areas that really needs AI and we're already seeing things like quantum-inspired algorithms to improve the way we do scans. We're seeing, you know, much better real-time prediction in hospitals that are with algorithms to assist clinicians to know what's going on, you know, all those crazy beeping machines actually being turned into messages that people can understand. Um, we're seeing it with things like holographic surgery where we're moving into that spatial world and adding an AI layer to that. So I think in healthcare there's some really exciting things. And I think in transportation and smart cities that's going to be a massive disruption. Like we're going roads are going to change. Like we're maybe not going to have as many accidents on roads because we're going to have a bit more AI and computer vision and a bit more like AI in our cars, you mean? Yeah, AI in our cars and on our roads and um, lots of cameras. I don't know if you've driven a Tesla lately, but sadly yeah. no. I'm on an academic wage. <laughs> <laughs> Only test drove one, but uh, they're, but they're quite cost effective because all of a sudden you don't have to pay for petrol and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but you know, like it's, it can actually see the road and it can identify pedestrians and it will stop instead of you know colliding into one. And and I and and I think that's that side of it's going to be really amazing. And then what's happening in smart cities? Like even this building, it's like it's almost like a smart building. I've walked into. People knew I was arriving, had an experience to it. But imagine all the other critical infrastructure we have: the bridge, our bridges, our water, uh, you know, our energy, and that being turned into these cyber physical digital twins for us to be able to predict the past and um, and predict the future and, and understand the past. Although Rita is excited about the future benefits of AI, she also concedes that at this stage we still bring our own biases when developing new systems. Because after all, it's humans who are doing the programming. Is there a way that you can see the future of AI better tackling the human biases that may have inadvertently be placed within them? Yeah, I really do. And I think that's so real in terms of, you know, if you even look at the way that we run our finance systems and how you apply for a loan and like a lot of those biases exist before you even put the AI around it or the how we, how do we go about getting a new job and, you know, what kind of, how do people judge us when we enter the room and, you know, that combination of body language, et cetera, et cetera. I also think it's about building a lot of fairness. So there's a lot of work going on in creating responsible AI guidelines so that we can have fairness, reliability, safety, privacy, security, inclusion, transparency and accountability and it's these principles that we're starting to see in organisations as they start to bring them on to how to create these um, kind of, um, you know, um, communities, committees to discuss and think about some of the implications of what we take when we start to mine our data and and start to find examples from them and start to predict things and and also start to... um, yeah, use AI to learn. And, and I think it's those learning parts of things, that deep learning, that will we'll have to become much more focused around ensuring that we're using these responsible AI principles. So I actually think it's some kind of new science that's mm-hmm. emerging. And we're seeing a lot of the philosophers and the ethicists and people coming in to have these discussions um, because it is a real multidisciplinary discussion and probably an area that I'm really passionate about because I think traditionally data science and data engineering and people dealing 
dealing with data is a can be quite a male-dominated area. Mm. But I also think that, you know, women are amazing at data analysis and understanding that side of things. So being able to make it more multidisciplinary and also include other other stream of thoughts that might not necessarily be a lot of the engineers that you traditionally work with, bringing them into the equation Mm. will make a massive difference as well. In our previous episode, we spoke with Yolandi Stringers about how female voices on our smartphones and networked home devices such as Google Home are perpetuating old-fashioned feminine stereotypes. I asked her what she thinks are some of the things needed to improve these issues. Would it be having things like Siri or Alexa come where you can choose from five different voices and gradually trying to get people used to hearing different voices in these devices? How else could we do it? I think we also need to be experimenting with personality and actually that's, you know, there is also already a lot of experimentation with voice. Mm. There's already a lot of kind of options away from the default but not so much around, you know, what it is or how we expect these devices to behave. So we might suddenly start having an AI who's a bit sassy yeah. or I say, what's the weather? And they say, work it out yourself, idiot. Like talks back? Yeah, possibly. I mean, there's, <laughs> there are some great design precedents out there already and they're, they're quite Quick, and they don't have to be. They don't have to be threatening. They don't have to be rude or not likable. They can actually be kind of just a really interesting kind of, you know, character in our lives. So tell us about some of those precedents that are available at the moment. There's one that um, Jenny and I refer to in the book called Kai, which is actually a banking um, assistant that was developed by a Jacqueline. Um, a feminist designer, Jacqueline Feldman. And um, she, her kind of design ethos was that she wanted this device to have, um, to be assertive and to also, I guess, to have a kind of a bot sense of humour. So it's it's gender neutral, but it's not gen, it's not personality-less. Mm-hmm. You know, it it still tries to uh, behave in the world like, like a bot. So if someone kind of puts a human question to it, like, um, do you want to go out with me or, right. you know, do you... Which we, why can we not help doing that? <laughs> like you said, Kai was a banking Yeah, bot. that's right. So I thought you were going to say the question would be how much money do I have in my account or how do I move it? Why can we not help asking AI these questions? Exactly. I Look, I think because they're designed to behave like people, right? right? So we want to see what will you say? That's right. Yeah, we want to engage them with them like we would engage with another person, right? right. It's just I, I think that's partly human nature. That... Okay, so I ask Kai, I type in Kai, Kai, how about a date? What would Kai say? Well, I, don't, I can't remember exactly what Kai would say, but it would be something like, um, oh, I'm a, you know, I'm a bot, so such trivial conce- things don't concern me. You know, I'm much more interested in, um, I don't know, whatever it's interested in, numbers and, and maths or something. Um and I know that was a very poorly scripted answer on my part, but uh, she makes him sound, sorry, just gendered it. She makes it sound um, much more um, quirky and, and yeah. kind of funny. Another one that I really like is the Tamagotchi robot, which died if you didn't look after it. Mm. You know, it's not like devices that... that um, don't put up with things, haven't existed around us in different forms for a while. So I think I, I think that there are there are other sources of inspiration out there, are little pockets of resistance that of 
you know, like the Tamagotchi robot, it's often not where you expect it to be. But, you know, it dies. If you don't look after it, that's it, you know. Um, I mean, I think it does eventually possibly come back to life. But there's, you know, you can imagine similar situations with um, a voice assistant kind of shutting down for a period of time if you treat it badly. And some of the companies have started to... um, do that on a very minor scale now in response to widespread criticism of how they respond to sexual harassment and um, and sort of abusive language and, and loud kind of aggressive tones. Uh, but I think there's, again, a lot more that they could do around um, what they are prepared to sort of tolerate, I guess, in terms of how people are going to treat them. Professor Anne Nicholson is the Dean of IT at Monash University. What do you see as some of the greatest successes that artificial intelligence is giving us at the moment? Well, I think that we've had a a huge improvement, if you like, in what AI systems that have kind of been around with the fundamental technology for about 30 years. That's the deep learning is based on neural networks. It sounds really um, technical, but basically the idea is if you get data, you can feed it into a model and it kind of learns based on those inputs, something about the outputs. Now, that might be recognising features in a picture. So we know now that computer vision is really accurate and um, speech to text and speech recognition are doing really well. So they've really massively improved for two reasons. One is that we have got much greater computing power and we've got much greater sources of data to train them up well. So they can take lots of data and just do an amazing job on finding patterns and learning things and classifications and so on. So it's truly amazing what's happening in that space. What advice would you give to people who want to ethically and mindfully engage with AI? I think that um, if you've got the time that there's some quite good um, online courses like micro-credentials that actually try and explain a little bit about AI and actually um, can show you with some software online that you can um, kind of run some little tests and create some sort of little AI model. And that might be something that would be too much for some of your listeners, but for other ones, I would encourage you to sort of expand your technological base. People are really amazing. My mum is like on Facebook and downloads things and messaging, so she's upskilled. So I do think that getting a bit more familiar with some of the guts of it, even if you're not going to go off and do it seriously, can help you get a better understanding of how it's built and then you can then assess better when you think there might be an AI on and that you're putting data in how they might use it. I think that if you're working with an organisation who wants to collect your data, you should definitely be asking how they're using it. If you're typing it in to get an answer back from something, you should be aware that there's some AI and that it might be really dodgy or it might be really good. And you Mm. can try and have a look or you can ask the organisation. If they can't tell you, you should probably like give it a miss. Do you have any examples of projects you've worked on where artificial intelligence is clearly doing a social good? Well, I'm working on one right now where we're trying to prove that it will. That is that we're collaborating with Ambulance Victoria to um, have an AI system that will uh, listen in on emergency calls and provide a kind of a decision support flag to earlier uh, detect cardiac arrest calls. So cardiac arrest is where the heart stopped. So time is critical. The call takers do a great job. They have a script though that they have to go through. And if we can detect um, agonal breathing, a particular kind of breathing in the background before the um, call taker does, or 
um, some other um, indication while they're still going through their script and we can flag it earlier. We could save precious seconds um, and get the ambulance out there earlier or we could um, hook into these new systems they've got where they ping someone who knows how to do uh, CPR and could be in the vicinity and say, get to that person who's 100 metres away from you and help with the CPR. So we're not necessarily there yet, but we've got some very promising results that show in particular cases that we can just help get that right decision detection earlier. I asked Professor of Communications and Media Studies in the Faculty of Arts at Monash University, Mark Andreevic, for some advice. I once typed into my Google search bar, I think it was something like, why are academics so, or why are professors so, and do you know what it suggested? Oh, no. So badly dressed. <laughs> Deeply okay. hurtful bias. What can ah. we? What can the average person do to either be more aware of the biases we may be encountering in AI, or even do something about it? Well, clearly, I need to dress better. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Well, clearly, we both do because that's what humanity thinks. <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I think that in many cases, these responses are going to have to be. Um, collective political ones. So I, I think the type of organizing that we've been seeing uh, in response to concerns about bias, for example, political mobilizing around bias in the use of facial recognition technologies, um, I think I think those um, where the politics is going to come to bear is on the decisions to actually use those systems. Um, you know, once the systems are in place, it's very difficult to uh, find ways to reverse engineer them. Although I think it will be important to advocate for accountability as well. Um, on an individual level, um, I think it's very hard, you know, when it comes to political change, uh, I think in most cases we're talking about collective action. So we have to, as a society, start to hold accountable those places where these decisions are being made and say, this is what we want and this is what we, you know, we don't want um, certain types of decisions to be made uh, by automated systems in ways that are non-explicable to us. And when it comes to... Um, uh, you know, very significant decisions about, you know, medical care, uh, employment. Um, we're going to have to be able to come to a shared political consensus about um, when systems are appropriate to use and why they're appropriate to use. So I, I think we could exam uh, imagine cases where it's demonstrated over time that the machine actually makes a better decision uh, with a better social outcome. That seems conceivable to me. But it's got to be demonstrable and explainable how we came to that decision and how we have the belief that that's going to continue to operate if we're going to continue to use that system. It's been interesting to see, for example, um, bias in facial recognition has gotten a lot of political attention. And I think it's because, you know, the face itself is a um, we're very concerned about biometric monitoring of our faces because we think of our faces as communication, pla uh, communication, I don't know how, I mean, one way we think of our faces is that, is that they're, um, they're ours to control our interface with the world and the idea that it can be captured and used uh, to make inferences about us and to identify us without our ability to know that that's happening or to see how it's happening is alarming. Um, the, uh, and... Um, so it's been a site of people expressing concern and there have been bans of the use of facial recognition technology in some municipalities. Um, 
that has received political traction and there's political response to that. Um, so I think it's possible. Uh, but I think, I think it does require, um, you know, interrogating these systems and looking how they're being developed and pushing back against them. And that takes political will and it takes a lot of knowledge about what's going on. And it's going to be harder and harder to do because more and more of these systems are going to be operating. Yeah. And so you're going to have to keep directing your attention. Wait, is it the, you know, is it the prison parole system? Is it facial recognition technology? Is it, you know, medical triage? You know, wh where are we going to devote our effort? Mark, thank you so much for coming back. I think you're really well-dressed. I think Google got it wrong. <laughs> thank you. Likewise. <laughs> I asked recent Chief Digital Advisor on Microsoft Australia, Rita Arrigo, for her advice. What advice would you give to the average person who is interested in maybe accessing AI but wants to make sure they're part of a, an, an ethical or um, fair society of AI use? There should be ways that you can start to be part of these ethics committees and, you know, um, be part of these kind of decisions. And, um, you know, I'm sh there, I think there's already, you know, a bit, few bit of a startup around, you know, the ethics in AI committee and people that are going to make, have opinions around that. You're seeing it in our public sector. Mm. Um, and you're also seeing it in our vendors where, you know, a um, lot of like, I was playing with this system called Fairlearn, which actually assesses systems and mitigates any impacts from, you know, race, gender or disability or age and kind of assesses your AI platform in the way that you're using it. So a lot of software-driven stuff as well to start to assess a lot of those kind of things. But um, I think, you know, the, I, the way I've – I'm a real hands-on learner, so the way I've always kind of, you know, learnt about the way things work or learnt about IoT or learnt about mixed realities. I like to go to hackathons and meetups. And I think if I'm a young person, you want to, you know, turn up to some of these things um, and have a listen to what people are saying about data science. You know, my first data science meetup, it was all about trying to figure out who was going to win the soccer. You know, like so people were studying soccer games and trying to figure out, you know, they had servers under their desk. And, you know, it's now it's like really evolved and to, you know, like being able to tap into services to do a lot of that kind kind of, you know, deep learning and machine learning and not have to kind of create your own hardware and that kind of stuff. So I think for young people it's really exciting to kind of see the applications and see the way we're using some of the newest technology to, to trial some of these things. I think we need to bring technology and AI and engineering into dinner party conversations so that it's it's not something that is seen as so boring and um, as if girls would want to get involved in that because I think we need the female voice. Um, and I think it's this combination of, um, you know, not being enough, not having enough females that want to be part of it, um, but also finding it hard to find role models in that space. Rita, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Had a lot of fun. That's it for our look into the issues surrounding bias in artificial intelligence. As we heard, whilst there needs to be more regulation, there's also potential for AI to help play a positive role in society. We will be back next week with a brand new topic to unpack on what happens next.